Welcome to the Power of Space podcast. My name is Ali Jafarian, and I'm your host. The Power of Space is a reflection of the total human experience from the lens of creators, leaders, visionaries, and other extraordinary people. We'll explore compelling thoughts, unique perspectives, and deep awareness around creating space in our everyday lives. These discussions are intended to ignite our natural curiosity and inspire us to realize new levels of personal transformation. I'm glad you're here, and I hope you enjoy the content. Now let's create some space. Welcome back, folks. Today I have a friend, a special guest, Mr. Tucker Max. Tucker and I met through way of FRD, Front Row Dads, and one of the things that's interesting that I'd sort of share about Tucker is that I've had very few but potent conversations with him, um, some of which we'll probably talk about today. But I appreciate those conversations, Tucker, if I haven't told you before. They've been inspirational and helpful, among other words I could use. And my thing on this show is to allow guests to introduce themselves. So who is Tucker Max? Oh, man. Well, right now, I spend my time, I have a 50-acre homestead in Dripping Springs, Texas. And so, you know, we got sheep, chickens, bees, all that kind of stuff, planting all kinds of stuff. So I work on that, and I have four kids, all under nine, nine or under. The oldest is nine. And so two are in the school that I helped found. There's a Waldorf in Dripping Springs. And then one is being homeschooled because there weren't enough kids for a class at the Waldorf. And then one is just like little. She's a year and a half. And so, yeah, so homeschooling one of my kids and building my homestead, man. That's pretty much it for right now. That's exactly why I wanted to record this is that you're doing some things in the world around homesteading that are inspiring. I also think that parts of them are courageous and that's my interpretation because I want to do similar things. And so as, as I learn and, and explore this with you, let's start with the homesteading. So what sparked this? Well, I mean, my wife and I had always wanted to be on land. We wanted to buy land and kind of live on it and whatever. And it was one of those things where, you know, most people for most things they want, like, oh, one day, or we're going to, you know, we're thinking about it or, or this is what we want to do. And we were definitely in that space about land. Mm -hmm. And then 2020 came along and lockdowns and the massive expansion of, you know, governmental authoritarian power and all the riots and all of the other nonsense and we were like okay like i thought i i I was awake and understood the world and i did in a lot of ways but there was a a depth to it uh, that i i did not understand and that that really woke me up and the the moment where i really was like oh shit we have to get on land was january 6th of 2021 when I watched a news feed of a bunch of drunken doofuses being led into the Capitol. And then in real time, the American media tried to tell me that that was a dangerous insurrection. I was like, no, that's just not true at all. (laughs) And it's funny because I spent 20 years in media. I know they lie about everything. But to watch that 
uh and then all, like all the subsequent stuff like i mean there's what 30 or 40 people in jail now like who literally were let into a building in what amounts to a, a, yeah, a little bit of a ruckus but what amounts to in america at least a peaceful protest and um i was like all right that day i realized that that i don't know when the american republic fell but it was over and we were not just we were long past the american republic falling we were now in the empire collapse stage and i was like oh shit like i missed this <laughs> uh, most people have but nonetheless uh i like to think i'm smart and ahead of, and i i wasn't at that moment i was like uh-oh we need to get our shit together and so we'd always want to get on land and it was like let's go so uh, it took us a little off on the right place but we did and so now I went from being like most people. I lived in a city. You know, I bought all my food at a grocery store. I was absolutely, completely dependent on other people for everything. And now I own my own water supply. I have two water supplies, both of which are fully owned and contained. I own my own meat supply. Like, I make all my own chicken. I make all my own lamb. And when I say I make, I mean, my sheep are born here. They live here. I kill them here. I gut them here. I hang them here and I butcher them here. They never leave my land. Same with chickens. Uh, we do meat chickens as well as eggs. So, I mean, I have 90 something meat birds in my freezer right now that I raised this year here. And so like meat, uh, I don't do cows on my land. I decided not. We had cows for a while, but I decided not to. But I get my meat from a rancher who is about an hour away, who I know personally, who literally puts nothing in his cows except grass and water. No anti-parasitics, no vaccines. He's way beyond organic. Like he's yeah, he's wow. religious about like. And so all of my meat is either an owned supply or it's from someone who sees the world I do and lives right by me. Most of my vegetables we get farmers markets or whatever. And like power supply i have multiple supplies i'm on grid for power because i'm not a fool or amish right so of course the grid's working i'm going to use it but i have multiple backup supplies and so we live a life that is in most ways normal but last uh winter in texas in central texas we had a massive ice storm an inch of ice was on everything and in austin power was down for three days where i live power down was five days literally we did nothing change. You know, we have generators, propane, like we have everything. And so it's like nothing changed in our life, right? And so I've created a life where not only am I not dependent on other people for a lot of things, I, yeah, of course, I don't make my own MacBooks. Like, I mean, like, obviously, I'm still in the world. Right. But for the very important inputs, water, food, etc., I'm not dependent on others. And more importantly than not just dependent on them, I think most of what passes is food and water and other things are poison. And I'm not involved in that system anymore. Like I don't have to check all my labels at Whole Foods anymore or worry about whether they're being honest about where they're sourcing stuff because I either do it myself or I know who makes it and I know them and they're my friend. And I can just go to their farm anytime and see what they're doing. Right. And so, you know. Like you went back to how things were before we became so complex and in certain ways, in certain ways, like, you know, when people talk about living off grid, 
that's a, 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 such a fallacy. Even the Amish are not off grid. Seriously, mm. no one is off grid anymore. And I mean, almost literally no one. Because people are like, how are the Amish not off grid? They don't use electricity. I'm like, okay, where do they get their tools? They use iron tools, right? They use steel tools. Where do they get those? They're not mining the ore. They're not smelting it. Like, they are on the petrochemical grid. Everyone basically on Earth now is, right? So there's no such thing as off-grid or on-grid. You're on-grid. The only question is how reliant are you on other people for all your inputs and how insulated from grid shocks are you? Right? Like I'm not fully insulated from all grid shocks. If someone nuked Houston, I'm going to be affected. Right? Sure. But like, it just uh, as an example, if all of a sudden the U.S. government decided to cancel all currency and roll out central bank digital currency and try and, you know, all this nonsense, like the two main, what three main ways they're going to get people to do that is food, water, power, mm -hmm. right? I, I can't withstand forever. No one can, but I'm not reliant on any governmental entity for those systems. Right. And so like I can live in a different way. My goal is, is to be as sovereign as possible. There's no such, it's not an on off switch, right? You're not either sovereign or not sovereign. Right. There are degrees of sovereignty and not everyone wants to be sovereign. I do not free. Free is a different thing. Sure. I want to be sovereign, meaning I decide I get to have full choice over my life or as much as possible. I'm a human. I still live in this world. I don't get to decide which laws of physics I obey, right? But um, sovereign among men. I want to be a sovereign man, meaning like I get to decide what I do and what I don't freely. Mm, totally. That is a very comprehensive answer to the why. You even kind of noted on some of the things that I was follow-up curious about around some of the challenges, but I think it's really, again, I'll just use the word inspiring because I make up a story that what you're doing is not easy. Yeah, it, it's not. It, it, no, sovereignty is not easy, man. So, sovereignty is almost always the harder path mm -hmm. um, uh, because it, it, if someone else is willing to do the hard work for you, yeah, that's easier, dude. Right, right. There's a price for that, right? And the I like to say that any res responsibility you have that you abdicate will be taken up by a tyrant and used against you. I think I think Jordan told me that uh, Peterson, mm -hmm. like he's a good friend of mine, and like we were talking about something, and he said that I was like, that's exactly what I was saying, but way way better. <laughs> and it's true, you know. Now, now here's the reality, man. Most people are okay with accepting at least some level of tyranny in their lives if it's more convenient and easier. And you know what? Fine. That's their decision. I mean, and I used to, even though I didn't think I was, I used to be that way. And it, you, shit, you could probably point out areas in my life where I'm still doing it now that I don't really realize or I'm, I'm making a cost-benefit analysis or et cetera, et cetera. But like, that's whatever, man. Like if other people want to be slaves or be half slaves or quasi slaves or wear golden handcuffs or whatever. That's their decision. Not mine. I, it's fine. I'm not going to do that though. Yeah. Right? I've, since, I've, since, I've decided it's not going to happen. I've sensed that. Like I said, in the few conversations I've had with you, I sense that you're very with your decisions. You don't necessarily 
preach or tell people what to do. But here's the thing that I've also observed with you, which I think is one of your gifts, at least that's how I filter, is that sometimes you share or speak with such conviction that it's like, I've told you this before, I'm like, holy shit, has Tucker changed my mind on this? Like, <laughs> I used to think this, but like what he said makes a lot of sense. And the way he said it, I'm like, I don't feel like he's making this up. Like I'm observing your body language and I'm like, he's so grounded in what he just said. So where this goes to, um, the question I don't think I've asked you before is, what's your process for learning? Because I sense that you have your own way of being in the world and then being curious and then learning something and then back to this component of sharing it. So I have to go all the way back. Like, how do you learn? What's my process for learning or for deciding? Because what you just talked about leading up to that was not about learning, which is uh, both are great questions. They're sure. just very different things. Answer the one that speaks to you. Um, well, the one that's more in line with what you're talking about is not learning, okay. right? Like a lot of people focus, you know, like smart internet-y people focus on learning. How do I learn more? They think it's about information. And there are definitely times where that's true. Like when I got out here and got on land, like I knew I didn't know a lot about various aspects of homesteading, but I think I severely underestimated how little I knew. Like I didn't know what an impact driver was as opposed to a screwdriver, right? Um, or, or a drill, sorry. And like, I had no concept of any of this stuff. Some of the most basic things. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that, <laughs> right? So there was definitely an information gap for me, right? But filling an information gap nowadays is trivially easy like I, honestly it's breathtaking to me to think about if i had moved on and tried a homestead let's say what is it 2023 let's say 20 years ago how fucked i would have been mm. where the hell in 2003 would i have learned all this like i would have had to hire somebody who you know someone who's been doing this for a while but you know lives in the country whatever to teach me all of these things the things that are, you are right, that would be basic skills for a 12-year-old 70 years ago. I don't know anything. About mm -hmm. But today, bro, YouTube. Right, YouTube, right. YouTube, YouTube. And it was like simple. And like, so funny, like a lot of my friends who come out here from like city are like, wow, how'd you learn all this? You must be so smart. I'm like, you have YouTube too. <laughs> There's nothing. Like, how did you do that? I'm like, I watched a video and literally just did exactly what he did. <laughs> And so it's funny, we were processing meat birds and someone came out and they're like, how did you learn all this? I'm like, there's thousands of videos online that literally show people doing this exact thing, which actually brings me to kind of back to the point. If there's a scarcity now, it's not on information. It used to be right. like almost all of our institutions and all of the common wisdom that humans operate on is based on the idea of a scarcity of information that is gone at least right now, what there is a scarcity of, I think, are things like courage, decision-making, wisdom, effective judgment, things like that, right? Like I can go on YouTube and find a video to tell me literally how to do anything on this homestead. And I mean that like almost totally literally, but like, what should I be doing? 
right? What do I need to focus on? In what order? What's the most important thing? Like that's judgment and wisdom, right? And there's a scarcity of that. And then the level above that is what I would call self-awareness, right? Like, what do I even want? Like, why am I on a goddamn homestead? Like making things with my hands. Why? What's my ultimate goal? Like, where am I trying to get to? What's my goal? And so understanding what you can call self-awareness or values or what, which actually brings back to your original question. Why do we get on land? And I gave you a very sort of uh, a, a good answer, but it was sort of like, what's the trigger that, that woke me up that made us actually go get land. But we wanted to be on land before. And, and why? I'll tell you why, because I think this gets to what, the core of what you were asking, I think. We had a belief before we came out here that being on land would enable us to connect better with ourselves by connecting with nature. And it was in certain ways, a pretty naive belief. I can just say like the way I thought about it then was naive. Now I can tell you having two years out here, I was right, but I was right for reasons I didn't really understand. I was a lot more right than I realized for reasons I didn't really understand. But being on land has been, it. let's say I'm totally wrong about the way I see the world and everything, yeah, there's you know some stuff going on, but let's say everything's basically safe. I don't need to have my own water supply. Let's just say for safety reasons, I'm way off base. Okay, cool. Like, let's say I knew that to be a fact. I would still want to be here and I would still be very happy with being here. I would just have spent too much money on things like, you know, a big rainwater catchment system and like, and two generators. And I got way too many fucking bullets. Like I would have wasted, you know, a quarter million dollars on various security things or half a million, whatever on what I I did. I don't need it. But I'm still super, super happy I'm here because what land does, especially if you're working land, land, animals, it forces you, not force you, it enables you. In some ways it does force you, but it, it enables you to really reflect on yourself and get honest with yourself. Yes. Like if you live in a city and you want to lie to yourself, it's really easy. In fact, all the skids are greased for living in someone else's reality and buying into their world and not actually having to think about who am I and what do I want and what would that cost me? And I don't just mean money. Yeah. And, and what are my values and all that? Like, it's so easy to just to live in Austin and vote Democrats and believe what everyone else believes and whatever, right? But land forces you to test your beliefs. Being out here, does being in nature uh, in a lot of ways and like i mean I, I can have all the ideas in my head in the world about sheep and about coyotes and about dogs but their interaction is independent of my beliefs right <laughs> like i may think coyotes shouldn't kill sheep coyotes don't I don't care they get a vote too right <laughs> and so like it it forces you to really look at yourself especially if you're in a, a mind space like where I think you are, and I, I have definitely been in the last 10 years, and when I met you, you already were, of true, honest self-reflection and self-awareness. 
that's been the greatest gift of this land is that it has not just tested me because you can find tests. I mean, I can go to a CrossFit gym and test myself until I die. It's not just about testing yourself. It's about forcing you to face yourself and your truths and then your interaction with the world, right? Because like I said, out here, I can't live in this world where I'm the only thing that exists. You know, everything else out here gets a vote too. Does that, does that all make sense? I, beyond making sense. I mean, it's very real what you're sharing. And thank you. I appreciate the note because self-reflection awareness is arguably the most important word in my life in the last several years. Just owning it, like you said, facing it. And that feels like the gravity that pulls me, that makes me really fascinated and intrigued by what you're doing and it's such a, I'll go back to it's such a real answer, because if there's anything I also love to speak up about, it's nature. My version of what you're doing is getting into the mountains as much as I can. And I come back and I'm like this different version of like, wait a second, there's all these people and they want things and they've got all these crazy ideas that don't land with me like they used to. Whereas there's something very, very pure and like almost brutal acute to face in nature yeah it just kind of guides you back to yourself and that's how i would describe that so it's beautiful what it makes me curious about tucker is that what do you see in your children now because they're with you they're with themselves in this experience so i think my wife and i already did a pretty good job raising our kids but it's been way better since we got out here mm. because what land has enabled now the kids have all their own space that they want right and also like they live in reality like they don't live on screens right so for example we just processed a bunch of meat birds and one of the other frds actually came out and helped us with his daughter chris bardic i don't know if you know him, oh, yeah. but it came with his daughter and, and they're great man they're like kind of in this world too and like when i say process meat birds we take birds that are alive and we kill them and then uh, do a bunch of stuff to them. So they are now a whole bird that goes into the freezer that we then eat. Right. And so like my kids had kind of like done it a little bit with me, but they'd never really gone through the whole process. We have like 40 to process. It's like a lot of work, dude. This is hard physical labor. And these are pretty big six, seven, eight pound birds. Right. I mean, they're not huge, but these are living things that don't really, you know, don't really, I don't know, like, oh yeah, let me just go die. Right. I mean, chickens kill themselves all the time. They're idiots, but they wanted to live. And so I, I kind of did the first few. I showed Chris and his daughter and my kids and my wife, like, okay, here's exactly how we do it. And then we kind of set up an assembly line. And what ended up happening is my nine-year-old Bishop and then Chris's nine-year-old, he's got a nine-year-old girl, and they were really into killing the birds, right? So we'd assemble them into these small cages so we don't have to chase them everywhere. And so they would go and they'd open the cage, they'd get one of the birds, they put it in you know, like a kill cone, like it's this cone, upside down cone, you put it in, you pull its head out. And then this is actually really honestly the safest, most humane way to kill the birds is you just cut their throat and they bleed out. doesn't hurt really much at all. And it's a pretty calm death, right? And it's actually way better for the meat. When they take them to processors, what they'll do is stun them first with like a little stun gun. 
you know, and so the bird's kind of like unconscious. The problem is it doesn't drain a lot of the blood out, and there's other issues that are kind of weird. We do it just straight halal style, like we cut their throats. And so, like at first, the kids were obviously like a little, you know, uh, even my kids who've been around a lot of death, because that's what homesteading, that's what meat is, is at its core is death. But like they kind of got into it, not in a morose way. Because, you know, the first couple ones we said a prayer over, we understood, like, okay, this is, you know, we can't contextualize fully everything. But, bro, by the end, my nine-year-old and his nine-year-old were, like, totally into this, right? And, like, they wanted to do a good job. They wanted to make sure the birds weren't suffering. Like, they're not just sticking the knife in. Oh, no, it's bleeding everywhere. We don't know what's going on. Like, they were doing it right. And they, like, were really into it. And so, like, death is a part of life for them now. Yeah, it's important and it's impactful, but it's not some traumatic thing. And they understand when it's appropriate, how it fits in, how to do it the right way, all those sorts of things. So these sorts of things that can be really sort of weird and traumatic for kids now are just like a part of their life. And and they they really love it. They like it. You know, we go hunting all the time and like I'll shoot a deer and then we say a prayer over it. We think it's for its sacrifice and whatever. And so like when my kids eat chicken or deer, you know, like they're like, oh, this was when I was hunting. Like it, they're food is not a thing that comes from the store to them right and death is not an abstraction that we don't talk about food comes from their land that they raised and death is a part of life because it is so it's actually a part of their life They're, they're now so mature and so connected to themselves because they're connected to the land because they understand this is all one big system and we are a part of it and here's how we connect to it. And like my emotions are part of me and that's part of the system. If I'm angry trying to kill chickens, things aren't going to go well. If I'm centered and, and focused, things go well for me and the bird. You know, I don't cut myself, et cetera, et cetera. Hey friends, this is a quick break to tell you about something new I'm offering called the Space Self-Discovery Immersion. This is a unique six-month program that combines tools, exercises, and personalized one-on-one coaching with me. The program is designed to help you find clarity in who you are, how you operate, and what makes you come alive. This self-discovery immersion is a reflection of my own journey with some of the best resources and insights I've learned as a coach. It can help you rediscover your unique gifts, help you break through your biggest challenges, give you a deeper sense of awareness and purpose, and ultimately help you realize your most authentic self. That's what it's all about, getting back to who you are at your core and living your best life. If this speaks to you in some way, please reach out. I offer a free alignment call to discuss your curiosity, and I'd love to hear from you. So my kids just have a, they have such a self-possession that honestly, I don't really even think about until like we'll go, let's say into town, and then we'll like maybe go to a park or something, and then I'll see them around kids who like, are on their screens all the time, eating sugary crap and totally disconnected from reality. And I'm like, oh my God, those m- mongrels. Like, 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 I don't even think of my kids as being that great or different until I see them around an average kid in a city. And I'm like, oh, wow, dude. It's you intense. Know? We feel yeah, I know. And it's not like a kid can't be healthy in a city. Of course it can. Like right. they have friends who live in Austin who parents do a pretty good job and they're like, whatever. But like, I'm talking about the the average kid. It's shocking to me, dude, how, I mean, obviously we did this 
I know we're outliers, but I don't think about it that way until I'm looking at some kid who's the same age as mine, who seems developmentally three years behind, who has serious behavioral issues, who, you know, I'm just like, oh man. And then I see their parent who's really honestly head on a phone, not really that different. I'm like, oh, well, this is the opposite of sovereignty. This is what happens if you make different choices. 100%. Well, I love so much of that. And I would share that even here where we live in Denver in the suburbs currently, my children go to a nice public school that should probably be a private school with how well it's funded. And, And there's this shock that I feel and even sometimes absorb when I take them or bring them home from school and they're in an environment. And while it's hard to not judge, I'm in agreement that there's a part of me just like, wow, this is, a, it's a very different experience what we do in our home. And then what my good friend just recently described as consensus reality, the way everyone else wants to be. And again, not trying to judge because that's not the intention here. It's just like, whoa, it's so clear to me what's going on. And these kids have no idea. The parents aren't even present. And so back to your point, what's missing from the equation amongst several things, land, connectedness. Yep. Yep. Then this segues into the last big thing that I was curious about because we've talked about this and this is where I have a lot of energy and it's a place where when you speak to this, I I feel that there's parts of you that know this is perhaps a way for you to inspire or even a calling. And I'm going to use a word and I'm actually going to give you the freedom to go wherever you want with this. It's the word avatar. Yeah. Because you've taught me things about that word. And yeah. well, you can tell the story if you want. I, I have no problem or uh, I will like that. It's a it's a funny story because like you guys looked at me like I was fucking nuts that I remember. And I don't blame you, bro. I don't blame you. If someone had yeah. said that to me when I was at a lower level of consciousness or, you know, different, uh, different evolution time, I'd have been like, the fuck are you talking about? You weirdo. <laughs> totally. Like, that's why I wasn't even upset. I'm like, yeah, dude, I get it. Like it's fucking weird. Yeah. yeah. I love well, this is the context I'll give. And then again, I would actually I want you to share what you okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that I think there's a lot of people in the world that perform. And at the basic level, I think they're performing for external validation, right? So we're talking about land and finding yourself and really yeah. faith awareness. Yep. And so that's not an avatar to me, especially when I heard you say it a few years ago, an avatar seems like someone who answers a call to be a beacon, maybe to share. No, no, no. no. Hold on. They answer answer a call for themselves. Mm. They don't answer a call for any reason outside of themselves. There we go. Ever. So the way I would define an avatar is someone who... Answers the call is a good way to put it. Someone who, let's say, lives the true vision of their life, right? They don't necessarily have to be enlightened in the Buddhist sense, but someone who does the the hard work of their life and comes to some realizations or lives or embodies a certain life or idea, and then through living 
their truest self, they become an example for others. That's it. So when like the famous avatars in history are people like Jesus or Buddha or Krishna or you know, go down the list. But you know, being an avatar doesn't mean you're famous, right? Like I think my godfather was one, and he's not famous at all. If I told you his name, you wouldn't know. I mean, he was very, very well known in his little town that he lived in and very influential and impactful, but like it, it's not about fame. Some of them just happen to become well known for various reasons. I mean, the only reason Jesus is super well known is probably because of Paul, right? And the efforts of Paul and the people after after Paul. And which is not a knock on Jesus, just Jesus didn't care if he was famous or not if Paul did. So so that's just kind of how it works, right? Same with Buddha. Buddha didn't care, but his disciples did. And so there's actually, it's the craziest thing, bro. If you study Jewish history, the, the Jews have a name for avatars. They call them charismatics. And there have been hundreds in, in Jewish history that like are very, very similar to Jesus in a sense. Not necessarily preaching the same message, but are like very good very persuasive. Not all of them are what I would consider avatars, but they're close enough because like the charismatics can range from what I think are basically con men to people, to Jesus being one, like he's considered one of the great ones. Anyway. So the, the point is in this group, there's like four of us were talking and, and I forget what the question was. It was something like, what are you focused on? And, and I had just like two days before had a meeting with someone who it was very unnerving, man. Like you ever meet with someone who I don't want to use the word psychic because that brings up a lot of different associates, but someone who just knows shit about you that they shouldn't know that doesn't make sense. Not like, like I can talk to you and read stuff really well, but I don't meet people and I'm like, oh, your dad's middle name is Sam. And like, I don't like, that's not right. But you ever met someone like that? And you're just like, the fuck is going on? I, two days before that FRD, I had met a woman who basically was like confronted me about it. she didn't know me she didn't know who i was nothing and she's like wow i've in my whole life i've only met two of you and i'm like you met two people named tucker max she's like, no no i've never met anyone named tucker like she's like two avatars and i'm like the fuck are you talking about what like without going even further into like crazy lunatic weirdness basically this woman called me out on this she's like look you know why you're here. You're here to live the most truest self, most authentic self you can. And you have the skills to talk about this and, and be an example to a lot of people. And she's like, you've already done this, right? And no, she wasn't like a fan like, who read my book. She didn't know who I was at all in any way, shape or form. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I kind of have. And she goes, yeah, no, you, you haven't. You haven't really done it the way you're supposed to yet. Like that was just practice. And I was like, who are you, you fucking witch? <laughs> What's going on? But there's a part of that that you knew is true for you, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, it's not like she came up to me like, you should be in the NBA or you know some nonsense. There's so much more to you than people realize. Like, you can say that to anybody. No, no. She was like very specific with some weird stuff. And like, I don't know what fully was going on. I'm not going to pretend like, oh, here's. But I do know that I had that in my head a lot at that point. And I was thinking about that. And so, like, I just brought that up because even then and right now, in certain ways, I still haven't stepped up, man. Like, I think the next major step for me is finishing my next book, mm. right? My memoir, my next memoir. And, uh, man, I still haven't done it. 
Like that's a good so hard, dude. This one's rough. I don't mean to sound like arrogant. It's just true. I know everything there is to know about writing memoirs. Like he's talking about information. Not only could I, but I probably should write the definitive book on how to write a memoir. Like there are great memoir writers in the world, and there are people who know as much as I do, probably. No one knows more. No one knows more than I do on how to write a memoir, how to tell your story. That is maybe the thing, if we're talking about specific skills, that I'm the best at in the world. If I'm not the best, there's like five or six of us, and we're all right there together, right? You know, it's like an all-star team. Like, who's the best person? Oh, whatever. We're all on the all-star team. It doesn't matter anymore. But dude, this one's kicking my ass because it's not about information. It's not about skills, right? You, you can't information your way into courage. You can't information your way into self-awareness. You can't information your way into feeling painful emotions. None of that's about information, man. None of it. Information might help if you're stuck at certain levels or whatever. But like I said, like there's no, there, there doesn't exist any more information about writing memoirs that I could definitely that I need. And even if I like uh, it just, there's nothing left. I know it all, right? And knowing it all is not getting the book written because telling your story is ultimately a therapeutic process that involves a lot of self-awareness and reflection and emotional work and feeling and courage and love and all these higher difficult emotions. And so it's if I could information my way there, I'd be done. Wow. I mean, that's powerful because, well, thank you. Thank you for first sharing that beautiful definition of an avatar because I was about to butcher it. So you got it right back on track. And then thank you for right here and now being open and just expressing the challenge because like we didn't even talk about that. And it's such a cool part of your history. It's not why I want to talk to you today about supporting people writing books. But yes, you've done that. You know that game better than anyone else. And that's cool for you to have the awareness to be like, well, now I got to do this. And there's no way to just like fake it, to make it like you got to, you got to own it. You got to face it. Mm, that's real. I mean that, I don't know what else, like, that's it. <clears throat> it's one of those things, man, where it's actually, it's pretty simple. It, it's pretty simple to figure out it's just not easy to do you know courage is not complicated <laughs> it almost never is complicated like very rarely they exist there are situations where it's like like it's a moral dilemma like a true moral dilemma where you really don't know which path to take that, that definitely exists i don't want to pretend like it doesn't it does but it's pretty rare. And almost every time, whenever someone tells me, oh, I got a huge moral dilemma, I just start asking questions. It's not a fucking moral dilemma. They know exactly what the right thing to do is. But there's a lot of... Co- it, what they'll say next is it's complicated. It's not yep. fucking complicated. We make it it's complicated. Yeah. Because complicated is almost always, not always, but like 95 to 99% of the time, it's complicated is a defense against a, a difficult, hard decision that you know is right that you don't want to make. Yeah. Always. Virtually always. Mm-hmm. 
what what what's coming to me it's it's such a simple and arguably cliche term but we say it a lot in this house when we really own our decisions and it's hard choices easy life easy choices hard life and that's the underlying theme here which is so real it's so easy to bypass that but you just gave a perfect example and i step back and pause on that on my can i break this can i prove this false but most of the time it's true it's like oh the real decision is the harder decision which leads to the truth the awareness the freedom Man, well, that's a lot. Thank you. I have a few quick fun fire questions if you're up for it. Do it. The first, what is your favorite book? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right, if I have to pick one with no, like, no limitation, fiction, non-fiction, no, 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 like without, because like the, my the better way that I prefer to answer this question is, you know, what's my favorite book and give me a really niche category because there's so many. But if I could only pick one, I would probably have to pick Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. I, in my opinion, it is the best novel ever written, at least in English. People who speak other languages heavily disagree with me in certain ways. And that's fine. They might be right. But in English... I think that's the greatest novel ever written. That's probably the book I've reread the most in my life. I'm not counting my own, but that's different. Very cool, dude. <laughs> that has not been shared. So awesome. Question number two, what animal would you be if not human? Don't say sheep. <laughs> Fuck no. Sheep are idiots. And their food. No. Man. That's a tough question, man. Uh, um, What's your decision process right now? Are you are you envisioning? Well, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about what life do I want yeah, as right. an animal, right? Like like what experiences do I want? And then the other thing is, I like being really highly conscious, right? And I mean that more of like as an intellectual way rather than a spiritual way. Although the two things are not directly connected, but they're often interrelated. And so I'm trying to think what's a highly conscious like high cognitive ability animal that has a life I would like. Man, I want to say dolphins, but I know a lot about dolphins and they have pretty like brutal social structures, man. It's not an easy thing to be a dolphin, dude. Maybe orcas, although they're pretty fucking mean, man. Like orcas are like kind of like little sociopaths, dude. And I'm not like, uh, you know, trying to, I'm not going to kill and stuff for fun necessarily. But they're very smart, very well. I told you, you oh, see one. Awesome. bear. Awesome. Yeah, um, I was thinking about dogs, but dogs are too servile, man. That's not my style. Um, so if I have to pick, I'll, I'll pick dolphin, okay. but that's one I would actually have to really think about. Cool, all right, I dig it. Yeah, dolphin's a great answer. And what about elephants? Are they conscious enough for you or no? Elephants are very smart, man. Very, very smart. But again, I'm thinking about my assumption is you mean right now. Yeah, right now. Elephants are not in a good spot now, man. Uh, In terms of where they can live, their environment, they're quite subject to human intervention. Whereas dolphins are not, no animal is uh, immune to it right now, but dolphins have a lot more potential sovereignty than elephants. Okay. That's fair. I dig it. Last question, Tucker. What's one of your favorite childhood memories? 
the first thing that comes to mind is it's a very simple thing. Um, reminds me so much of my third kid, Deacon. Um, my parents weren't really very good parents. And, and for the most part, the people that really loved me and were like parents in my life were my godparents, Jane and Bill. Like the guy I said, Bill, I think Bill is an example of an average common man avatar. But like one of the happiest memories, it's the happiest, the wrong word, more content. Mm-hmm. One of the most content, like all, almost all my memories with Jane and Bill are like this. But there's one very specific. It's so weird. I used to love as a little kid. Uh, like about the age Deacon is now, like four. I would sit in front of the TV, like uh, Bill would be behind me and his like, kind of lazy boy. And I had like this little chair thing that was on the floor and it was super comfortable. And they had these wooden parquet bowls, you know, like parquet, the, cro- yeah. like a, the old Boston Garden parquet floor. And um, Jane would feed me Doritos and give me um, cranberry juice. This is back like before Doritos were super unhealthy. I think they still fried them in, in tallow then. <laughs> and so I would literally just eat bowls and bowls of Doritos and drink cranberry juice. And it wasn't as so sweet then. Like people don't realize, young people now don't realize how fundamentally different food was 40 years ago, 45 years ago. Even like quote junk food was not that junky and not that bad before seed oils infected everything and sugar. And so it was like the sourness of it. And I can just remember like, uh, I was so content and so happy with them then. And it just reminds me of my four-year-old son, Deacon. Like he he would just sit with uh, with me and mommy on the sofa and eat pretzels and drink. He likes little sparkling water. And like he loves his little pretzels. And like he just happy as a pig and shit, man. Like all day, just like I was at that age with that. So that's probably my, my, my happiest kid memory. Love that, dude. I love that. Not just because I felt it as you're sharing it. And then I was trying to like envision this sucker yeah. enjoying his Doritos. But dude, I fucking love Doritos as well. And so it's amazing the nostalgia. Whereas even today, like occasionally I buy Doritos and I know how bad they are now. I even tell my kids, I'm like, yo, there's a reason we don't have these a lot. But there's something about eating them and I still lick my damn fingers because mm-hmm. that's what I did as a kid, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember. What great answer. Tucker, thank you, brother. This was a pleasure. It always is. I appreciate you for creating some space for this. I appreciate for how you show up. Anything left unsaid before we wrap? I don't think so. Thank you, my man. All right. I will say this then. I have aspiration at some point to visit the Max Ranch if possible. Dude, I mean, the doors are open. We have a guest house. Like, yeah. come, come bring your family. You, you have two kids or one kid? Two, two young kids, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. What are their ages again? I forget, like, seven, five, right. Let's say six and three or six and four. It's probably about when last time we talked. Dude, like, my kids are nine, seven, four, and a year and a half. It's a perfect fit. Anytime you want to come, we can slaughter a sheep if you want or not. We, you can just eat the stuff that's already dead and butcher. No, dude, we do. I do. Like, I've, I was already a good cook. I grew up in a restaurant family. But over the last two years, I've become a really fucking good cook. You know, I sold my company and like my wife is working on scaling her business. So like I do all, I already did most of the cooking because I was just a better cook than she was. But like now, not only do we have badass ingredients, but I've gotten like, like, you know, like I I didn't grow up making tzatziki sauce. Right. But I'm like, we have lamb now. So it's like, yeah. And so I've gotten like 
badass at like things like tzatziki or Caesar dressing, or I make all these Vietnamese sauces that go amazing with lamb. And so like, bro, I'm a pretty fucking good cook, dude. Like we do like a lot of badass stuff. So anytime you want to come. Believe it. And I appreciate that invitation.